Welcome to another edition of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the award-winning show covering fishing, hunting, conservation, destinations, and other outdoors recreation across the greater Northwest. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lur, Sportsman's Warehouse, Sina Sea Seafood, and Wallowa County Chamber of Commerce in the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program. And now, let's see what's happening this week with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. My thanks to everyone who participated in our annual Christmas gift giveaway show last weekend. That was a ton of fun, and it was wonderful to see such a great response again this year. I wish I had enough gifts to give away to each and every one of you who entered, but only Santa Claus himself has that ability, I'm afraid. So all I can say is, I hope you'll try again next December, because... We plan on doing this again. Now, if you are looking for a Christmas gift and you didn't win one, I hope you paid attention to our segment with Rich Wheeler with Sina Sea Seafoods because wild-caught Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Talk about a great gift. You could order smoked salmon to include Copper River sockeye salmon or king salmon or coho salmon. You can order halibut. You can order salmon from the sea. You can order sable fish. There's all sorts of things there to include food bundles that would be the perfect holiday gift. So check them out at SinaSea.com. The website again, SinaSea, that's spelled S-E-N-A-S-E-A.com for SinaSea Seafood. This week on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, Roger Phillips is with us again from the Idaho Department of Fish and Game for a monthly news roundup covering hunting, fishing, and wildlife from the Gem State. Bob Loomis is back as well for an extended Max Minute. He'll be talking about two really good winter kokanee fisheries and the very different ways he fishes them. It's a head-scratcher to me, but I think you're going to learn some good stuff during this extended Max Minute. Also from Max Lure this week, we've got Britton Ransford coming on the line. He's the marketing director for the company, and he just wrote a great article that's in the latest edition of the Mac Attack, the free monthly newsletter from Max Lure you can subscribe for at maxlure.com. And the article is all about early winter ice fishing for trout. Britton's going to share this primer with you, and if you want to get into these fish this winter, you'll want to listen to this. Sticking with trout and kokanee, we'll also chat with John Conrath. He's a fisheries biologist with Wyoming Game and Fish, and he's sounding the alarm about some troubles they are seeing at Flaming Gorge Reservoir. Now, this place is a must-fish destination for a lot of anglers who are after quality rainbow trout, huge mackinaw, and trophy kokanee. We'll find out what has John concerned about the state of these fisheries and what his agency, along with the Utah Department of Wildlife Resources, is doing to correct this disturbing trend that you're going to hear about during the show today. In addition to this, we've got your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week where you get the chance to win that $25 gift card from America's Premier Outfitter, which could come in really handy this holiday season. Before we get into all of this, though, let's see what David Sparks has for us this week on Sportsman Spotlight, brought to you by the Egg Information Network of the West. How to Preserve Evidence of Sex and Species on a Big Game Animal David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight In almost every state, hunters are required to retain evidence of sex on all harvested big game animals. Here's Fish and Game official Brian Pearson with an explanation of why. Failure to leave evidence of sex and species naturally attached to a big game animal is one of the most common violations that we detect at our check stations. And it's important, particularly in a number of different cases, but in units 
or in hunts where it is a mule deer or white-tailed deer specific hunt, we want to know and we want it to be identifiable when we see that animal at a check station or when you're checked in the field that the animal that you've harvested is the animal that coincides with your tag. Ditto for an antler animal versus a doe. We have specific rules pertaining to our CWD management zone. Really determining if the evidence of sex requirement has been met is one of the first tasks that is completed by fish and game staff when you pull into the check station with your animal. That should be one of the priorities for you is to identify how you're going to have the evidence of sex and the evidence of species naturally attached to your animal. Brian just mentioned CWD management zone, and that of course pertains to chronic wasting disease which is an increasing problem in ungulates throughout the West. Sure hope you outdoorsmen have enjoyed this episode of Sportsman Spotlight. I'm David Sparks. See you next time. If your favorite season is deer, if your favorite salad is meat salad, if your favorite gifts come wrapped in fur or scales, if you're dreaming of a white and camo Christmas, then you'd fit right in at Sportsman's Warehouse. And lucky for you, Sportsman's is offering amazing deals all season long. So visit your local store or go online to sportsmans.com and gear up for an unforgettable holiday. You've probably been told that to reach a millennial farmer, you have to go digital. Hmm. Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, an online publication, or maybe a podcast. Hmm. But which one? Oh, and how receptive is this age group to your sales pitch during non-work social time? Maybe... The best place to reach a farmer with a farming solution message is when they are, well, quite frankly, farming. You know, it's easy for us to find them during the day as most farmers are behind the wheel of a pickup truck or farm equipment with the radio on listening to this station for the Ag Information Network of the West News. If you'd like to deliver information about your terrific product or service, give us a call and we'll connect you directly with our community of loyal farmer listeners. Reach real farmers right here, right now, as they listen to what is important to their farm operation. They trust us. They'll trust you. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. It's time for our monthly check-in with the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. With us here to tell you what's news out there in the Gem State is Roger Phillips. He's the Communications Supervisor for Idaho Department of Fish and Game. Roger, great to have you back on the air. Always a pleasure to be here, John. Well, I guess we'll start off with the big news. Director Ed Schriever is retiring after 39 years with your agency. Yeah, it's pretty exciting because, I mean, first, we're very happy for Director Schriever. And also, you know, I think it's pretty unique in this day and age. He has spent his entire 39-year career at Idaho Fishing Game. He started as a fish technician, actually part-time. And then shortly after graduating from college, he started at a hatchery and worked through the ranks. And, you know, that's a pretty cool thing in this day and age where people tend to be pretty mobile and you know, we're, we're sorry to see him go, but, you know, well-deserved. You know, it's, it's funny you say that. It is really rare to see somebody just work their way through the ranks of the top. I know uh, the Wyoming Game and Fish director has that same background, but few others that I'm aware of. Has a replacement been named yet for Director Schriever? No, the director is the sole employee of the commission, and they will go to work here shortly. Director Schriever is going to be here until February, so they have a little bit of time. But, yeah, they'll start that process here shortly. 
Well, here's wishing him a very happy retirement. He's done a great job with your agency. Let's turn our attention to December Trout and maybe Steelhead, too. You know, you continue to have a robust stocking program that goes right through the winter, don't you? Yeah, we do. And we've got, you know, we're, we're kind of blessed here in the Treasure Valley where things usually don't ice up, at least for long periods of time. And so as long as people want to fish, we're going to keep stocking trout so that they can keep doing that. And they do. And it's pretty cool to be driving through town and here's some pond and there's somebody out there fishing. And then our steelhead, that's a long-term program. And You know, we bring those fish in from Hell's Canyon Fish Trap, and, you know, people just love it. I've been in the Valley for about 20 years, and every year people get excited, and we start getting phone calls in about early, mid-October saying, when are you guys going to stock steelhead in the Boise? When are you going to stock steelhead in the Boise? So it's something that, you know, we've kind of developed a following of it, and I've been down to some of the stocking locations and seen the same faces year after year. So it's just kind of a fun one, and it's a real opportunity for people to catch those steelhead right here in town. I think it's fantastic that you can actually catch a steelhead in downtown Boise. That is wonderful. Uh, let's head up towards Cascade Lake. It has that trophy perch fishery under the ice. And I understand the ice fishing might be starting a little early this year. Well, it's, it's an interesting situation because when you think of Lake Cascade, to give you a little background, You know, the ice and the snow there are kind of like a layer cake. And we had some good cold weather. That lake was frozen at about four inches, which is just kind of that minimum for a single person out there. We like to see more. And now this snow is hit. We have a big snowstorm up there. So we're going to have a bunch of snow on top of that ice. And we'll just have to see what the temperatures do. We're off to a promising start, but I wouldn't say run out there just yet. Keep an eye on it, and we'll try to keep folks posted on what that ice is doing. You may not know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. That trophy perch fishery, I mean, are people still pulling two, three-pound perch out of there every winter? Oh, yeah, they are. You know, it's become kind of a national draw for the people who are really into perch fishing. And one of our own biologists called it the world's most technical perch fishery. And I think, you know, you and I think of perch fishing as, you know, you find the school, you drop your worm and, you know, catch a bucket full or a handful or whatever and get on with life. You don't have to think too hard about it. But, but man, there are guys out there who just go look for those big perch and And they do still find them, but it's work. You know, it's not something, sure, people catch them randomly too, but it's a very interesting fishery, and it's one that has really become quite famous for both the size of those perch and also how challenging it can be. Let's turn our attention to to something different, waterfowl. Last week, two instances occurred. In Wyoming at Ocean Lake, there was a die-off of waterfowl. There was also a die-off of light geese. We're talking about blue, Ross, and snow geese uh, near Parma and the Deer Flat National Wildlife Refuge in the Treasure Valley. What happened there, and, and how many geese were found dead? Well, we're still watching this situation, and we don't have a hard number, but we know that we had you know at least about 350 of those light geese, and there's a little more circumstances surrounding it. We know that avian cholera is out there. It's not uncommon, and we had about 50,000 light geese, snow geese basically, come in in the fall, which is fairly unusual, and we know that those flocks have been kind of carrying that disease back and forth. So I think it was a combination of just having that many birds in the valley at the same time. And, of course, that is a little bit contagious, so might have got into something else. We're not seeing a major die-off. We kind of think when that flock left or that 
series of flocks left. They mostly took it with them. But that's something we're going to be watching here pretty closely. We don't think that there's a, any kind of a population effect. And like I say, we tend to see some bird disease almost every year. But some of them get bigger and some of them just kind of stay low. So we're hoping this one stays low. Do hunters who harvest these geese need to worry about either transferring it or catching it themselves? Uh, I think it's pretty remote, but certainly, you know, use that common sense. If you see something that's sick or, you know, sometimes we see injured birds out there, we swat them, put them in our bag limit. You know, if, if something doesn't look right, just stay away from that one and try to keep your dogs away from that one, too. That sounds like very good advice. All right, uh, more bad news here. Understand a wasted elk was found near McKay, and for our listeners who don't know, that's between Chalice and Arco in eastern Idaho. Tell us about this case. Well, you know, we see these things pop up, and we've had several this year, and the key to this thing is, is first, take care of these animals if you shoot them. You know, it's the law, and it's the right thing to do. Process that meat, enjoy that meat. And if you don't, we hope that somebody is going to let us know who is responsible for that, because it's usually the citizens, you know, hear something, see something, and that's how we usually can make cases on these. And we would like to basically, let's, let's just be blunt, let's punish these people because they took something from the rest of us and they wasted it. And that's just, you know, unacceptable behavior. You actually have a citizens poaching tip line, don't you? Tell our listeners about that program. Yeah, people who call in and give us information and it leads to a citation, they can get a reward for that. And we've paid out quite a few rewards. And we've had other folks that just say, no, I don't need it. I did it, you know, to be a good citizen. And But either way, it's fine. They can go on our website. They can do it anonymously. They can call that hotline. But the easiest way is probably just go into the website and, and report that incident. Last topic. It is winter, and you want to winterize your house to protect wildlife. What does that mean exactly? You know, it's a really interesting one. We have seen, I don't know if I'd say a rash, but every year we see incidents where deer or elk get tangled up in things that are in people's backyards. And that can be hammocks, and that can be hanging plants. It can be all these different things, you know, volleyball nets, something like that. So if folks know they've got wildlife that are on their property or in their neighborhoods, if they can just kind of look in their yard and see something that might attract an animal or get that animal, you know, cause an animal problems, we'd appreciate it if they'd take those things down. It's usually not a happy ending when these things happen. It's pretty sad. You know, on our website, we have pictures of a bull elk with a hammock wrapped around its antlers, and it's not doing very well. So sometimes we can get in and free those things, but... At the same time, sometimes it's the worst-case scenario, and we just like to avoid those situations altogether. Well, not only are you helping out the Idaho Department of Fish and Game, but you're helping out those deer and elk, too, who have a hard enough time making it through the winter. Great advice to take those things down. On that note, we have got to go, but let me wish you a very Merry Christmas, Roger, and a Happy New Year, and we'll do this again in January. That sounds great. Merry Christmas to you as well, and keep up the good work, John. We appreciate what you do. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wingbeats on a duck marsh, 
public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. If your favorite season is deer, if your favorite salad is meat salad, if your favorite gifts come wrapped in fur or scales, if you're dreaming of a white and camo Christmas, then you'd fit right in at Sportsman's Warehouse. And lucky for you, Sportsman's is offering amazing deals all season long. So visit your local store or go online to sportsmans.com and gear up for an unforgettable holiday. with more of the great outdoors on Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. It's time for another extended Max Minute. With us again is Bob Loomis, and today's topic is early winter kokanee. Bob, welcome back. Thank you, John. Question for you here. You don't hear about too many lakes where folks go fishing for kokanee during the winter months, with a couple exceptions. What would those be? Well, you know, it, it is very different, but yes, during the wintertime, there's not many lakes that, that actually fish and fish well, but we do have a couple up here in north central Washington. Lake Chelan is one, and Lake Roosevelt. You know, Roosevelt and Chelan fish pretty good during the wintertime, so it's a matter of, of, you know, finding the fish, and like on Chelan, predominantly you're fishing much deeper than usual. I've fished them all the way down to the deepest fish I've caught is 247 feet. Wow. But it's one of those things that, for some reason, most lakes that have kokanee fisheries just don't fish very well during the winter. Let's talk about Roosevelt. I know they're usually in the lower part of the lake, near Keller or maybe over by Seven Bays. But how deep are they there? Well, same thing. Those fish will go during the summertime when it gets hot. Those fish end up going very, very deep. And they gradually during the wintertime, start coming up towards the surface. That's where all your food is to begin with for kokanee. And they're going to be up on the surface during those cold months, January, February time frame. So hold on, hold on here. So Lake Chelan, you're fishing deep in the winter for kokanee. Yep. Lake Roosevelt, you're fishing shallow. Right. Why is fishing so confusing? Well, <laughs> you know, you're talking... Uh, <laughs> Every lake has a different thermocline in it where you get that transition or where there will be food. And obviously, in the wintertime, those fish, the thermocline in the Columbia River or on Lake Roosevelt, there isn't one to speak of. So the fish are getting all of their food up on the surface. Well, there you go. Two great winter fisheries for kokanee and two very different depths to look for them at. Find out more about kokanee products. Max Luer has a whole bunch of them at their website, maxluer.com, or look for them in a sporting goods store near you. Looking for that extra something that will get more salmon or trout into your boat? Then check out the Double D Dodger from Max Lure. The Double D does double duty and helps you catch more fish. The Double D's flash attracts lunkers and the Dodger's patented stop-start action works wonders to get those fish biting. The Double D does even more by acting as a side planer to get your bait away from the boat where the fish are more likely to be and more apt to strike. The Double D Dodger, it's the Dodger you've got to have from Max Lure. 
Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is the border of Wyoming and Utah. That's where Flaming Gorge Reservoir is located. It's a huge impoundment that attracts thousands of anglers every year and for very good reason. However, there are concerns about the fisheries there right now. And with us here to tell you more about these concerns is John Conrath. He is a fisheries biologist for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here, John. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Let's kind of tee this up here for our listeners who are not familiar. Number one, our weekly guest, Bob Loomis, with Max Lure. He loves Flaming Gorge Reservoir. Undoubtedly his favorite place to go, and for good reason. There's a lot of different species that you can catch there, but the three main ones that attract anglers, I would say, are the, the rainbow trout, quality fishery there. The lake trout, there's some very big lake trout in that reservoir. Then you've got the kokanee, and that's probably what attracts most people, is you can catch kokanee that weigh over six pounds at Flaming Gorge Reservoir. How is the kokanee fishery doing right now, John? Well, anglers are still able to go out and catch a limit of kokanee, but I will say most folks are experiencing a harder time catching their limit. It used to be most people would go out early in the day and catch a limit in as short as two hours and then just be practicing catch and release the rest of the day or just get off the water. And now anglers are starting to find that they have to spend the majority of the whole day just to try to catch their four fish. So we are seeing a bit of a decline in the abundance of the kokanee out there. Are we also seeing a decline in the size, or is the size still up there with two and three pounders very common? Two and three pounders are still very common. That's one of the good things about the gorge. We haven't really seen any kind of a size dependency on size here. Um, Most of these fish are still going to be that 18 to 22 inches, those three to four-year-old fish that are more often than not going to be three, three and a half pounds. And a few of those fish getting up to that 24 inches and over five pounds. Let's talk about one of the reasons why the kokanee are declining. You do surveys all the time at the lake, along with other biologists, and I understand these surveys are showing an abundance of smaller-sized lake trout below 25 inches. They're called pups by many. Why is this troubling that you're finding more of these smaller lake trout in the reservoir? Well, we're learning more about this every year. What we've seen that's concerning is the slow upward trend in the abundance of these, we kind of call them small lake trout. Some of the public tends to call them pups. Yeah, they're the fish that are 18 to 22 inches that are probably making up the majority or 80% or so of the catch for lake trout. When people go out and fish for lake trout, 80% of the time, they're going to catch one that's 18 to 22 inches long. And what we've been looking at is their diet. And the last couple of years, we've 
completed a couple of projects focused on their diet to try to learn what they're eating throughout the year and how much of those prey items they're consuming to grow the amount that they are each year. And we're hoping with all this, we're going to be able to say these 18 to 22 inch lake trout are consuming X number of kokanee, X number of rainbows for the year. And this will just help us figure out, you know, is it the 18 to 22 inch lake trout that are consuming the most sport fish out there or or not? And what we're learning from other water bodies around the Northwest is it's oftentimes these smaller lake trout that are having the greatest impact because of how many of them there are. Maybe they haven't switched over to primarily eating fish for all of their diet, but even if they only do it 10, 20% of the time, the sheer number of them can have a much greater impact than even our trophy lake trout that are up there at 40, 50 pounds that we know they're subsisting completely on the sport fish that are out there in the reservoir because that's what it takes to sustain their size. But there aren't that many of them, so their impact is actually less than what it could be for these 18 to 22-inch fish or those less than 25 inches. So why the explosion of these smaller fish and why aren't they, you know, just naturally going to different age classes where some survive and some don't and you have kind of a a relatively stable ladder of fish classes within the lake? Well, we're still learning about their age and size structure and what we're finding out is that a lot of these 18 to 22 inch fish are anywhere from 8 to over 20 years old. Oh no. Yeah, so it seems like there's a good chunk of these fish out there that just have zero potential to ever be a trophy fish. And it wasn't too long ago those greater than 28 inches, you know, that are 13 to 50 pounds, and they didn't want to harvest these small lake trout because they wanted to see that fish eventually grow in to be a trophy fish. And what we're learning now is that a lot of these fish just have zero potential. So it's almost kind of like we have two different types of lake trout out there. The ones that have the potential to be a trophy fish and the ones that are just going to stay at 18 to 22 inches for the remainder of their life. That is really interesting. And now I see why it is so troubling. So I understand there are efforts underway to reduce the numbers of these small lake trout in Flaming Gorge Reservoir. Why don't you share with our listeners what some of those efforts are? Well, the one thing that we have done and that started in 2019, we did change our regulations. It used to be eight fish less than 28 per day or in possession with only one of them being able to be a trophy fish. And we changed that to 12 per day and 24 in possession. So Folks that are coming in and recreating at the gorge for a couple of days from out of state, they can now go home with 24 fish, which is three times the number that they could go home with before 2019 with our old regulation. So we're trying to, one, when the fishing is really good on a particular day, allow those anglers to take more fish when the fishing's good. And if they're staying for multiple days, have the ability to go home with more table fare. One of the other things that we're doing, we help sponsor some of the derbies that go on on the reservoir. And one that's going to be coming up here is called the Mac Attack. This will be the third annual Mac Attack Derby. It'll be January 14th and the 15th. 
and I encourage folks that are interested. This derby will be either on the ice and with boats. There'll be plenty of open water opportunity as well as ice that time of year. And folks should really look up that Mac Attack Derby and see what it's all about and come down and enjoy some days on the gorge. If you're Mm -hmm. wondering how to sign up for that derby, just go to buckboardmarina.net. That's the website, buckboardmarina.net, and go to the Mac Attack tab, and you'll be able to register online there. You can also get information through them and actually register in person on January 13th as well. Sorry to cut you off there, John. Why don't you go in the final way you're addressing the situation? Absolutely. One of the other things we're doing is just outreach to the public. That can be through our seminars that we'll do throughout the year, little presentations and demonstrations about fishing techniques, the how-to, so to speak, of catching these lake trout different times of the year, things that we've done out on the water that seem to work pretty well, and then encouraging, you know, the dominant angler out there are kokanee anglers in the summertime, and just encouraging those folks that when those water temperatures get hot, In the summertime and delayed mortality on those kokanee they're releasing can get pretty high to just go ahead and switch species and go and target lake trout so they can go home with more table fare. And help save the kokanee fishery too. One of the things we should add is that a thousand lake trout have also been tagged this fall. 200 of those tags are eligible for monetary awards of $50. And don't think that the lake trout fishing is only a spring, summer, fall affair. It's also very good under the ice. We've got to go. But if you are heading to Flaming Gorge Reservoir for kokanee or lake trout, consider Like John said, coming home with a whole bunch of smaller lake trout, targeting those smaller lake trout, and by doing so, you're going to help the overall fishery at this lake. John, thanks for helping us shine a light on this situation on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you, John. I hope to see folks out there. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wing beats on a duck marsh, public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. Hey guys, stop. Grab your bait and listen. Ice is on the lake, so we're going fishing. With me is my best friend, Mike. We're hitting Lake Poygan for the trophy fight. Will I catch a perch? Hey, I guess so. I got some new jigs and a brand new zip. Truck with all my new gear, Mike got the bait, I bought the beer. Soros, I got a nice pair of boots to go with my head, my blazer suit. But that ain't enough, boy, true and tree pair. Well, from that theme music, you know what we're about to talk about. That's right, fishing the hard water, fishing the ice. And with us here to talk about it is Britton Ransford. He is the marketing director for Max Lure, and he just wrote a great article in the Mac Attack, the free online digital magazine you can get from Max Lure at maxlure.com, all about early season ice fishing. Britton, welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for having me on today, John. Well, I'm sorry you're under the weather, but I guess if we're going to talk ice fishing, that's kind of appropriate. It kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? (laughs) Unfortunately so. Well, here's hoping you feel better soon. Thanks for making the time, despite the fact that you don't. I know you enjoy ice fishing. You live in central Washington, but you fished in other places besides Washington State. What are a few of your favorite destinations in the greater Northwest to go ice fishing for trout? 
Yeah, I'm still relatively new at ice fishing. We kind of started getting into it about four or five years ago. And so it's been something that we've made it a point to get out on the ice at least once or twice a year since we kind of started getting into it. So we've been down to Cascade Lake down uh, in the Boise area. We've fished out of uh, Republic up at Lake Curlew. And then, you know, growing up, I fished uh, up at Fish Lake in the Lake Wenatchee area for perch. And it's just all of those places, you know, it's not as, you know, rich in the type of species you can catch as you'd go find back in the Midwest or so, but it's a a sport that's growing in this area and we have a lot of really good options. Oh yeah. And you know, in Eastern Washington, places like 4th of July Lake, Hog Canyon, Roses Lake, all great destinations. Mm -hmm. And you've got the, the Thompson Lakes and other lakes in Montana and the Northwest part of the state that are wonderful for ice fishing. I mean, there's lots of options as the ice starts freezing up. And of course, you want to make sure you're careful, want to make sure it's at least four inches thick before you get out there on that ice. And if you're going to take a vehicle or snowmobile, it better be a lot thicker than that. But let's talk about using the correct gear when ice fishing for trout. What do you like to use? Predominantly, you know, I'm using a lot of the MaxLure stuff. We have a lot of very versatile products that work, you know, whether you're open water fishing or you're fishing on the hard water. One of the things that we've had a tremendous amount of success with because it's so versatile is the Sonic Baitfish. You know, it's available in several different colors. And the really cool part about the Sonic Baitfish is you can fish it so many different ways. The way we typically fish for it through the ice is attaching it off the top of the sonic bait fish. So you have more of a horizontal presentation while you're vertically jigging. And what that does is it gives it a whole bunch of vibration and movement. And especially when you're fishing for trout or, you know, trying to attract a school of perch, um, getting that type of reactionary, you know, a lot of displacement in the water, it's going to really bring those fish in and um, get them to bite. Let's talk about a little bit more of the sonic bait fish here. It's one of my favorite lures for a lot of different applications. <clears throat> now, when we talk about ice fishing, though, and folks, this is a jigging spoon. It's a jigging spoon that we're talking about here. What size are you using for trout? For trout, we're going to go all the way up to a one-sixth ounce. It really depends. So I'm of the thought process that if this fish isn't being aggressive and actually attacking, especially if you're using Vexilar and underwater electronics to kind of see these fish down there. If they're really, if you know there's fish down there and they're not hitting, I'm going to go smaller and smaller. I'm going to get as small as I can to get down to the depth I need to be at because it's just going to entice those fish to bite a little bit more. So you can get away with using a, a 16th ounce, but I'd probably stick around the uh, one tenth to one sixth ounce somewhere in there. Here's a question for you. Most of us who own trout rods are around, oh, five and a half to six and a half feet long. But you recommend going to one of those little ice fishing rods that are only like 30 to 36 inches long. Why do you do that? Yeah, you're going to have a lot more. uh, It's going to be a lot easier to fish with a a true ice fishing rod than it is with your typical five to six foot trout rod. Just because you're going to be able to get up on top of that hole. You're going to be able to get your jigging cadence a lot more consistent. And it's going to be a lot more fun fighting that fish in on super light 30 to 36 inch rod. You can find them basically anywhere and they're very... uh, affordable but just being able to be on top of that hole and then be able to get your rod down in the hole so you're not spooking that fish off when it's you know hitting the side of the ice the ice hole that type of stuff so it's just a lot easier to maneuver handle the fish while you're ice fishing and let's talk about the line you like to use do you prefer mono braid or fluorocarbon and what size test well since i'm not in the office today and i'm not standing next to bobby i will say i don't prefer to use braid like Bobby would, but I typically use about four pound fluorocarbon. They also make specific ice fishing line, but 
you can get away with four pound fluorocarbon. And it's just a personal preference. I think you can kind of get away with, with monofilament braid, whatever you wanted, but somewhere in that four pound range. All right. And Bobby, of course, is Bob Loomis, our friend who's with us almost every week on Max Lure, who also loves using the sonic bait fish. Okay, so now we know how to rig up for jigging for trout. And of course, you're going to want to have your ice fishing staples that you include in the article, like the ice auger, a bucket, a rope, an ice scoop, and of course, lots of warm clothing and a sled to tow it all with you. Now, here's the next question. You address this in the article. You know, when I go out to an ice-covered lake, I'm kind of lost as to where to go to find the fish because, you know, you just have this white sheet of ice and snow. Where do you start? Well, the experienced ice anglers, you know, already scouted all this for their electronics on, on a boat prior to the ice over. The cool thing about ice fishing is it's such a family event and it's something you can just decide to go do in a lot of these lakes. You know, the easiest way would just go find where everyone else is fishing, but sometimes there's not many people out there. So, I like to start shallow. It does help to have some type of prior knowledge of the lake floor. So is is it flat and muddy? Is there a weed line? If there's a weed line, that's where we want to go fish. We want to start shallow, start in about four to eight feet of water and work our way out, drilling holes, pre-drilling holes in like a Z pattern. Um, This allows us to cover more ice and we want to work out, we want to work shallow and work out deeper. We'll start fishing shallow. And then if there's no fish there, we keep working our way out deeper because the fish aren't going to go shallow, more shallow. So we do prefer to stay more shallow because the perch are actually going to go out deeper as the lake turns over. And the trout, they love colder, highly oxygenated water. They're going to come up into the shallow water. And so we do like to start shallow. Again, if there's not many weeds in there, we'll just try to find shallow flats, look for drop-offs. They like to cruise the edges of drop-offs. And then if there's weeds, just try to find that weed line. You know, I was going to ask about fish finders for ice fishing. I know that a lot of perch anglers will use those. But if you're fishing in, you know, four to eight feet of water, it doesn't sound like those are going to be particularly effective. It really truly depends on um, if you are fishing in that super shallow water and you're fishing for trout, the vexillars, fish finders aren't going to be as necessary because those fish are going to be cruising. They're not going to be congregating there on the bottom. But as you do get out in the deeper water, you'll be able to use those vexillars and be able to see fish from further distances and then be able to you know, adjust your cadence to kind of bring those fish in. One other thing we should talk about when it comes to jigging up these trout, do you put any bait on your jigs? Always. A lot of times while you're perch fishing, you can actually get into some trout as well. So we usually just pop the eyes off the perch. But if you're just going out strictly for trout in general, um, just use maggots, pink maggots, the Berkeley maggots, or a a little piece of nightcrawler. Any type of bait is going to give you probably a better chance of catching those fish. And when it comes to jigging for trout under the ice, are we talking about a real subtle jigging presentation just a few inches up and down or are we talking more of a sharp presentation to get the most flutter you can again it's it, we're gonna have to play the fish in this instance where you know there's days where you can go out there and the fish just aren't reacting to anything and so maybe you're just dead sticking right off the bottom you know two cranks off the bottom 10 12 inches off the bottom whereas some days you're going to need a really aggressive constant and, and it's important in the cadence to make sure that that's always in rhythm so you're not just being completely erratic we're in the business of catching fish so we don't want to make it harder on ourselves so the more we can be predictable but also enticeable is uh, important so i would just play with it maybe start out with a more stiff aggressive cadence then get a little bit slower and then even try dead sticking but once you get into one or two of them um, you'll kind of understand what you were doing consistently to get into those fish 
All right. A great <laughs> primer on winter trout fishing from Britton Ransford. If you want to read his article, it's a good one. Just go to maxlure.com. Sign up for the free Mac Attack newsletter. It comes out every month. Doesn't cost a thing. They'll just send it to your email, and you'll be in the know on how to catch fish under the ice from Britton's article and a whole lot more as well when it comes to catching fish, too, all year long. Britton, hope you feel better soon, and thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I appreciate you having me, John. Okay, let's leave this segment the way we came into it with a little music from that parody group, Shad Rap. Mike got the bait. I bought the beer. Sorrow. I got a nice pair of boots to go with my hat, my blazer, and suit. But that ain't enough. So I chew and treat fear of heavy duty flannel thermal underwear. Drilling. The ice is half a foot thick. My gas powered ice auger ought to do the trick. If I want to eat crap, I gotta catch dinner. Drop my line in the hole with the minnow and the spinner. Did you know we actually have a sponsorship opportunity available for this show? You can be a sponsor of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, reaching thousands of listeners every week, tuning in to 69 stations in seven states. If you have a business that caters to outdoors enthusiasts, this is the platform for you, and you're going to find it's much more affordable than you think. Contact me through my website at northwesternoutdoors.com, and let's get a conversation started. That's northwesternoutdoors.com. Are you ready for some real adventure? Then wake up to winter in Wallawa County. Grab your camera, put on your snowshoes, and take a professionally guided hike into the quiet solitude and breathtakingly rugged beauty of the Eagle Cap Wilderness. Or sleep under the stars and test your mettle with some winter camping and ice fishing for kokanee and trout at Wallawa Lake. Or bring your snowmobile to Salt Creek Summit and explore Wallawa County on 150 miles of Northeast Oregon's best trails. Your outdoor winter adventure begins at www.wallawacountychambers.com. If your favorite season is deer, if your favorite salad is meat salad, if your favorite gifts come wrapped in fur or scales, if you're dreaming of a white and camo Christmas, then you'd fit right in at Sportsman's Warehouse. And lucky for you, Sportsman's is offering amazing deals all season long. So visit your local store or go online to sportsmans.com and gear up for an unforgettable holiday. We've got time for one more shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with John Cruz. I've got to ask, how is your Christmas shopping going? If you're like most folks, you've probably still got a few gifts left to get. And I bet you some of those gifts, if you're listening to this show, are for outdoors enthusiasts in your life. Well... You know the place to go to take care of them. That would be your local Sportsman's Warehouse store. There's 125-plus locations around the United States, and a good portion of those are located right here in the greater Northwest. So head on down to a store near you and look for something that you think will strike their fancy. There's all sorts of apparel available, and you can never go wrong with a pair of wool socks. I know that's always a winner, not to mention shirts or sweaters or hoodies or parkas. And if they're anglers, plenty of fishing gear available. If they're hunters, ammunition's always a good gift. And maybe they enjoy watching wildlife. Well, check out the Optics Bar. They've got all sorts of good stuff there. Whatever you are looking for, for the outdoors enthusiasts in your life, you're going to find it at Sportsman's Warehouse. You can also shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. And now it is time for your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week. And 
we're going to stick with that theme of ice fishing. So here is an ice fishing question for you. Back in 2014, Tia Weiss, who was all of 12 years old at the time, was fishing with her father through the ice using a tip-up rod and reeled in a 2-pound, 11-plus-ounce yellow perch that is the current world record perch caught through the ice using a tip-up. Here's your question. What lake was this current world record perch caught out of? Was it Lake Erie in Pennsylvania? Was it Sheep Pond in Massachusetts? Or was it Idaho's Lake Cascade? All three have given up monster perch in recent years, but only one of these gave up the current world record. If you think you know the answer, go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio, then go to the post thread and give us your answer there. You can also go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com, shoot us an email, and let us know where was that current world record perch caught at. One person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week from our friends at Sportsman's Warehouse, which will come in very handy for Christmas shopping. On that note, it is time to go. Here's hoping you are full of Christmas cheer, and here's hoping you managed to find some time to enjoy nature, too. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. Outdoors.